Father God, would you please now open, open your word to us and open us to your word. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, forgive me, today you're going to need to do, or we're going to need to do, quite a little bit of work. Because we're looking at uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 2, 3. And um, uh, I'd, like those, I'd like this morning to speak about you. You see, first of all, three things. You were created in love. You were created as an act of love. God saw everything that he had made and it was good. Now forgive me for being a bit philosophical and this is where I said you're going to have to do some work today. We are created beings. We can only love as a response. I see you and I love you. I taste chocolate and I love chocolate. Our love is always a response to something that has been created, to something that is out there. But God's love is different. God creates what he loves. God does not see you and love you. God loves you and so created you. That's why when God looks at everything that he has made, it is good. Why? Because he's already loved it and he has spoken it into being. You are loved and therefore you exist. Think on it. <laughs> Secondly, you were created in the image of God. Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us make humankind in our image. Genesis 1.27, so God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. That does not mean that the invisible eternal God who is bigger than us and bigger than all our conceptions and ideas, stands, for instance, on two legs. Although he did come, and he did do that, when Jesus came to us. We talk about a painting or a photo or an icon as being an image, a likeness of the person represented. But it is only an image or likeness in a limited way. On the sheet, this, uh, this white sheet, you have got a picture of me. Now, that is not from any sense of, uh, you know, the feeling that you need to have a picture of me. But what I would like you to do is to compare the picture of me with me. And I hope you will see that there is a difference. So what does it mean, thank you Liz, so what does it mean when it says that God makes us in his own image? Are we like a photo of God, that he has a face like us? I would suggest that to be created in the image of God means firstly, we are created to be in relationship with God. 
Most of the commentaries on this speak of how to be created in the image of God means that there is something in us. Some identify it with consciousness, which means that God can have a relationship with us and we can have a relationship with God. We can know him. We can hear him speaking to us and we can respond by calling to him and speaking with him. To be made in the image of God means that we can know God in a way that an ant or even a dolphin, that most amazing of creatures, cannot know God. And in Genesis chapter 3, a little bit later on in the story of the fall, we're given a beautiful picture of what this relationship could be like, could have looked like. We're told that Adam and Eve walking in the garden, actually they're hiding, but they could have been walking in the garden in the cool of the evening together with God. So to be created in the image of God means we are created to be in relationship God with God. It means we're created to be in relationship with one another. Here's a little bit more hard thinking that we'll have to do. There's something very telling about the wording of verse 26 and verse 27. In verse 26, God says, let us make humankind in our image. In verse 27, so God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. There is a singular in God, so God created humankind in his image. But there is also a plurality. God said, let us make humankind in our image. Now Christians have come to understand that singular and that plurality, that one and that many in terms of the Trinity. One being three persons. Three persons who are unique but dependent on each other, in unity with each other, part of each other, one with each other. Um, if you just take up the yellow card for a moment or two, look at what we say in the creed. This is section four. We say we believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternal, look at these phrases, eternally begotten of the Father. That means he has been, he's the Son of God, but he's always been the Son of God. God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made of one being with the Father. And we turn over. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father, uh, the West added on into the Creed, and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. Look at, uh, again at the card, the piece of paper uh, the, 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 um, uh, with the notes on, and you'll see a very poor reflection of a rube left icon of the Trinity. But there we have three persons in complete communion with each other. They are one, they have the same face, they're the same age, but they are different and they are in communion with each other. 
And so this singular but plural God creates not just man, but man and woman, male and female. He created two who were the same but different, but he created us for communion, for union. He created us for relationship, for intimacy. And the human model for that communion is marriage of man to woman, of two becoming one. Now, I am not saying that if you are not married, then you are not reflecting God. Far from it. Jesus was not married. Paul was not married. Mother Teresa was not married. In marriage, and it is intended for marriage alone, there is physical, sexual intimacy. Two become one physically. But to be made in the image of God means that we were created for relationship with each other, for spiritual intimacy with each other. The union of soul with soul with soul whereby two, three, or four, who are similar but different, become spiritually one. So that when I say, I desire this and do this, I can say in all integrity, we desire this and do this. We were created to be like the persons of the Trinity, in relationship with each other. And we are created to reflect the goodness of God. To be created in the image of God is to be God's representative on earth, to share his dominion, his lordship over creation. Verse 26, let us make humankind in our image and let them have dominion over the fish and the birds and the animals and the insects and so on. Verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish and the birds and the animals and the insects. Today, there is concern about the word dominion and subdue. The argument is that these words have meant that human beings have felt free to mercilessly exploit the creation so that we're in the mess that we are today. But remember that this is dominion God style. This is dominion lordship which allows the other to flourish, to grow, to become what it should be. This is dominion which brings order out of chaos. This is servant lordship, the sort of lordship that kneels at the other's feet to wash them so that they might be clean before God the sort of lordship that is willing to die for those over whom it has dominion. We are, as it were, to be estate managers, not estate exploiters. And as human beings who have been given dominion over creation, we have a responsibility for creation. We are accountable for a creation to God. In the end, we are responsible if the dolphins go extinct. They are not responsible, however amazing they are, if we go extinct.
The story is told of a priest walking past a peasant's garden. It was stunning and cared for with such tenderness and attention. The flowers were beautiful in a great arrangement. The vegetable patch immaculate. It was a picture of harmony. The priest stopped and gazed and said to the peasant who was digging over the potatoes, give glory to God. What an amazing creator he is. And the peasant replied, aye, that he is. But you should have seen this place when it was left just to him. <laughs> we have been created in the image of God to work together with God in caring for this beautiful creation that he has given us. Not to exploit it, not to ravish it, but to tend it as a gift of love so that it becomes what it was meant to be. And Genesis 1 is about what this creation looked like or would have looked like if there had been no fall. In verses 29 to 30, we see that all the living creatures were vegetarian. There is a beautiful harmony about Genesis 1. All things working together with men and women together, caring and loving for God's creation. Now I know that there is an elephant in the room. Is it true? <laughs> Did God create the world in a six 24-hour days? Do I have to believe in vegetarian dinosaurs? How do I explain the fact that the sun and moon are only created on the third day? What does a day mean before the sun and moon were created? Doesn't the order of creation in Genesis 1 contradicts the order of creation in Genesis 2. Now, this is not really the place for me to explain how Christians, including very leading eminent scientists, have understood Genesis 1 to 3. But my own thinking is that those questions rather miss the point. We need to ask, why was Genesis 1 written? What is it that God is trying to tell us through the account of creation. You see, I do believe that this is the word of God. And so when I get to heaven and look back, and when I see clearly, then I will say, but of course Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 are absolutely true. They told us in the best possible way that they could have told us. In a way, and this is important, because God's word is for all ages and all times, they told us in a way that speaks to every culture and every time what God wanted us to know and everything that we needed to know so that we might come to know him and love him and love the world that he put us in. So you were created in love as an act of love. You were created in the image of God. Thirdly, you were created to delight in God and in the creation of God. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it. 
The seventh day, the Sabbath, was not created by God for God. He didn't really need a day off, a day of rest. But for us, Jesus said, the Sabbath was made for humankind, not humankind for the Sabbath. And the Old Testament speaks of the Sabbath as a day of physical rest, not just for you, but for those who work for you, and for the animals, and for the land. And the New Testament speaks of the true Sabbath as the rest of the kingdom of God, of heaven. The Sabbath is a day of completion when everything is in its rightful place, a day of freedom, of delight in creation, each other and of God. The Jews celebrated the Sabbath on the seventh day, the Saturday. But the earliest Christians realized that the logic of the Sabbath, one day in seven, was fulfilled by the resurrection of Jesus, when God opened the door for us into a new heaven and earth. So they moved the special day from the the Saturday to the Sunday. The Sabbath moved from Saturday to Sunday. The day of the resurrection. Of course, those of you who speak Russian know that very, very clearly. Sunday was Christenia. And in so doing, by the way, in moving it from the Saturday to the Sunday, they gave us one of the strongest possible arguments that there is for the historic reality of the resurrection. Because if the resurrection didn't happen on the Sunday, why on earth change the main day from Saturday to Sunday? And God has called us to enter into his rest. We enter into his rest when we take a day out and stop from our work. Do you know, as a student going through university, I would try and take a Sabbath, a day off on the Sunday. I very deliberately said, I am not going to do any study. I actually kept that up, even coming up to the exams. (laughs) of just saying, no, God, I'm going to put one day aside. I think I probably did better as a result, I don't know. We have time to delight in God and his world and each other. And we enter into his rest when we stop relying on our works to save us and trust him. And we enter into his rest when we die and rest from our labours. That's Revelation chapter 12, verse 13. We enter into his rest when we stop trusting in ourselves or in our works to save us and we start to trust him and his deep love for you. We enter into his rest when we lose ourselves in delight of his creation, of each other and of him. So this is you, created in love, created in the image of God created to delight in God and each other and his creation. Of course, Genesis 1 is only the beginning of the story. In Genesis 3, we have the fall, sin and death come into the world after the great rebellion. And the rest of the Bible is the story of how God rescues us and sets us free. Genesis 1 to 3 set the problem. The rest of the Bible tells us the answer. And because of Jesus, of his death and resurrection, we look forward to the day when not only we are saved 
and set free from the power of sin and death when we enter into the glory of the children of God. But we look forward to the day, as we read in that Romans passage, when creation itself is set free from the bondage to decay. When creation is transformed, radically transfigured, and becomes what it was meant to be. So now, Paul writes, is a time of waiting, of longing, of groaning for that day. But it is also a time of hope. Father God, thank you for your amazing, beautiful creation. And thank you for each of us and each of those who we love. Thank you that you created us in love, that you created us in your image, and that you created us to delight in you. Amen.